Welcome to the Mind Design Sports Podcast. I'm Brandon, and in each episode, I'll be talking about sports psychology with the guest speaker. If you want to design your sports experience, you've come to the right place. If you want more tips and insights on how to improve your sports performance mentally, check out our website and other podcasts at mind-designsports.org. Hello, everyone. Today, Emma, a blog writer at MDS, and I are talking with Carlo Singson, an ex-vice president and managing director of the NBA Philippines. He recently stepped down from the NBA after spending 21 years working there. Carlo was directly involved in the NBA's expansion and growth in Asia-Pacific. With a degree from Northwestern and Brown University, Carlo utilizes his business and marketing strategy, delivering creative solutions and growing businesses. He's a sports, media, and entertainment enthusiast who is passionate about the way platforms can be used to bring people together. We hope to get his insight on his job, his influence, and his views on mentality within sports, especially with professional NBA athletes. Thanks for hopping on the podcast, Carla. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I guess we were kind of wondering if you could speak of your work as ex-managing director of NBA Philippines and summarize what you did and some challenges you may have faced during that time. Uh, sure. Um, so I was the I, I was with the NBA, the National Basketball Association, for over 20 years. Um, I started off as a management trainee back in the 90s, if you can believe it, um, mid-90s, right out of business school. Um, I spent about a year in New York, uh, basically uh, shuttling through all the different the major departments at the NBA, um, whether it's the licensing department, international marketing, television, uh, consumer products all the uh, different areas of the NBA so we could learn about the business, um, see how each of the functions operated. And then um, about a year later, later, I moved to Hong Kong and that's where we had our Asia Pacific headquarters. And really Asia at that time was huge focus for the NBA. Um, the, the league's presence in, in those markets were uh, very small. I mean, we had an office obviously in Hong Kong, we had an office in Japan, Back then, we had an office in Australia and in Taiwan, and uh, the, the NBA wanted to, to grow that uh, significantly, um, leaps and bounds, obviously, with an eye on China uh, and continuing with Japan and Korea and Australia. So those were the main markets. I was basically hired to help um, build the NBA regionally, but also focus on the Philippines because that was also seen as a priority market for the NBA back then, um, and it, it is... Uh, now as well. So um, fast forward many years later, uh, I was based in Hong Kong for uh, something like 18 years. And then I was selected to, or I was appointed to open the office in the Philippines um, in 2016. And so that office was the, I I believe it was the 13th international office for the NBA and really was a sign of the the league's commitment to that market. and so I was there from 2016 until 2020. And um, I left the league about about a year ago now and um, to, to focus on other areas. But it, I've always, uh, I, I always um, really valued my time in the NBA. I learned a lot. Um, and I think I've, we, you know, me and my team and the organization impacted a lot of young athletes like those listening here um, over the years. So it's great to, it's great to um, be, be on this podcast. Yeah, of course. And with your 
job. I'm sure you did some type of marketing and marketing is pretty broad and it uses some psychology. So is there, can an athlete use marketing techniques for their game, maybe even off the court? I, I believe so. I think, um, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, but in this age of digital and social, everything we do is about marketing, right? There's no, there's very little privacy left, unfortunately. And if you're an athlete, especially one that's of a high profile nature, then you have to assume that everything you do, everything you say is um, someone's listening, someone's watching. And so I think um, the principles of, of marketing, um, you know, the formal principles of marketing, which is know your audience and know how to communicate and, and know how to, how to position yourself. I think those come into play both in your public and your private persona. It's, um, you know, it's, I, I kind of, I kind of, um, I do have mixed feelings about that. Obviously as a, as a young athlete, obviously there's, there's a lot of pressure. Um, and the fact that there's so much um, access and so much uh, exposure magnifies that pressure a, a lot more. So uh, I think for an, for an athlete um, in this day and age, uh, they, they do have to remember that, you know, they're, they're, their image and how they how people perceive them is is important, whether it's uh, on, in their public life or even on, on their private life. They just they just need to um, be be conscious of that and be aware. Um, and we were kind of wondering if you could talk to us about what you've learned from your experiences and your time there, and maybe any knowledge you have on the mental preparation of athletes. Hmm. Well, you know, I I, um, I I work mostly on the commercial side um, of the NBA, so I didn't really deal a lot with the players. Um, but in in my job, we did we did have a program which I I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about later called the Junior NBA program, and the Junior NBA really is our way to help grow and develop the game outside of the U.S. So in international markets like the Philippines or in Africa or the, or elsewhere in Asia, Junior NBA is really our, our key platform for that. And there is a several stages with the Junior NBA. Of course, there's just getting the game out there and exposing as many kids as possible um, to the game, the fundamentals of the game uh, and the values of the game. But then there is also a funnel where the, the top athletes are then um, selected to move on to a more elite kind of program. and. Uh, at the end of it, at the end of the the rainbow, if you will, the pathway, the top athletes are then um, invited to participate in the Junior NBA uh, Global Championships, um, which I think in year one was held in uh, Orlando. So there is, uh, I've seen and I've I've helped guide a lot of the young players, especially in the Philippines, um, the Junior NBA. I I actually was. Uh, one of the, the pioneers of the Junior NBA program. I pioneered that program in 2007 in the Philippines. And, you know, a lot of our athletes have gone on to, 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 to uh, join the Philippine Basketball Association, the Pro League in the Philippines, or, uh, or the national teams, uh, the junior teams and the senior national teams. So a lot of, a lot of those athletes uh, went through that pathway. And I, I, I mean, uh, the, the top athletes are those who, uh, subscribe really wholeheartedly to the program's values. We have these values for junior NBA called the STAR values. And the, they stand for sportsmanship, 
um, teamwork, having a positive attitude, and then respect. So those are the, the values that we, uh, we espouse throughout the program at all stages, whether it's the beginning part where uh, the free clinics and the exposure events to all the way to the elite programs, because um, even elite athletes need these values to succeed. And those that do succeed are those that embody them. So that's what I would say. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, practice makes perfect. And, you know, the, the idea of uh, 10,000 hours of practice to, per to perfect the craft, uh, according to Malcolm Glad Gladwell, um, but then also having these internalizing these values, um, star values plus plus I'm sure there are others others as well that can help really help you deal with disappointment, deal with loss, and help you get better and succeed in life. Those are the, I think um, in some cases having those values in you within you is more important than than the practice the, the hours of practice you you have to do. Absolutely. Just a side question. What is the junior MBA Philippines specifically? And what, how did that like help market the MBA? Um, so the junior MBA is our way of, I mean, obviously the NBA represents the, the most elite athletes, basketball players in the world. Um, and so we wanted to take that, that learning, um, our wealth of knowledge on training and coaching and player development, and, and even just how to deal with being an athlete, how to deal with success and failure, et cetera. Taking all that knowledge and then sharing it with the youth um, and really helping the youth uh, outside of the U.S. develop a love for the game, develop, um, well, not just the love, really, develop the skills to play the game. Uh, we believe that the more people love the game, the more people watch the game, the more people play the game, they they they're more likely to become fans of the NBA in the future. So they're they're it, it's really trying to grow the pipeline of fans, and that starts with at a young age, um, training kids uh, how to dribble a ball uh, as opposed to kick the ball, for instance, how to shoot. Um, you know all the all the fundamental skills obviously but then also the values of the game right the the star values that i talked about earlier but on top of that uh layered over that um we saw like for example in some countries where basketball really wasn't a tradition um there was a uh, a lack of knowledgeable coaches uh and so the players even though they wanted to get better really couldn't get better because there was really no coaching available so we introduced a layer in the junior NBA for coaches. So we had a coaching program um, where we trained the coaches to know how to coach and coach the kids. Um, but then also making sure that those guys um, that are part of the program go and teach what they learn to other coaches as well. So that there is a, a knock on effect, a scaling, uh, if you will, of basketball knowledge um, so that more and more kids can be can benefit from the junior NBA. Even though you know we would do a camp for 50 kids, for example, and 50 coaches, you know we hope that those coaches are then able to teach hundreds or maybe thousands of other kids. You know after they leave their, our program, so it's 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 really that it's really trying to grow our pipe, pipeline of of players and fans of of the game. I see. So. How did you deal with the pressure of being responsible for defining and expanding the MBA in the Philippines? Well, in some cases, it was 
easy, I would say, because, you know, the Philippines is quite unique in the world. It is one of the few countries where it is the number one sport. There's really only three or four countries in the world where basketball is bigger than football or soccer. Uh, and basketball in Philippines is one of them um, by far. I mean, it's not even a, it's not even a competition. So there, well, there already was this huge love for the game, this demand for the game. Um, I guess the challenge for me was really how do you how do you turn that uh, into a business for the NBA, a viable long term business for the NBA. So that really was my focus as as the head of the NBA in the Philippines. Um, how do you how do you uh, capitalize on this strong demand for for the NBA really and um, and, and continue to grow the sport um, the, the, I guess the, the one of the one of the challenges because the the love for the league was so insatiable like people couldn't get enough of the NBA they were always asking oh, what's next what's next what's next so really for us is um, going back to the marketing uh, discussion we had earlier like how do we market the NBA in 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 the best way possible so that um, we service our fans, we give them what we want, um, but at the same time for the NBA, how do we make it viable and feasible and really profitable for the league? So those two um, uh, those two forces were kind of like what I was thinking about on a, on a day-to-day basis. Um, how do we service our fans, but then how, making sure that you know, for for the league, it's it's a it's a profitable business. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, the Philippines loves basketball. And you obviously feel very passionately about what you did there. So, can you kind of talk to us about why you chose to actually go into sports management? And can you speak about what attracted you to that job in particular, and what your main motivation was? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I've always been a fan of sports in general. I mean, and with basketball specifically. I mean, especially. Um, and so, you know, there, there is a, a long story, maybe for another podcast about how I got my job, but really it was for me, my dream job is, is to get, um, to get into the NBA. And it really was for me, um, living the dream, you know, working with, with, um, a league like the NBA, because it didn't feel like work at all. It felt like, um, you know, I was. I was, we were having fun. We were, we were, we were, um, working, um, with, you know, amazing athletes, amazing business people. Um, and we were trying to grow this sport around the world. Um, and we were looking at how our sport can impact, um, the youth through programs like junior NBA and such. So for me, it was that it was like, how do I, how do I, um, um, do something I love doing, but also making a positive impact in the world. And, you know, it's really uh, things like the junior NBA and, and, and other things that we were doing as a league that help people become better. People uh, excel at what they do, teaching people how to, or inspiring people how to become the best that they can be. So that to me was um, sort of like the, uh, the best part about working, working in the NBA. What lessons and techniques have you learned um, from the 20 years that you spent in the NBA? Maybe like any tips for an athlete? For an athlete? Um, well, I guess, I mean, uh, you know, just being an athlete, um, you have to approach it like you would a job, right? That, that's, that's the way I look at it. It is a job. And so it requires uh, discipline. It requires hard work. 
it requires creativity and innovation. You gotta always figure out how to be, how to improve yourself, how to become better. Um, it takes a lot of hard work, obviously, and it takes a lot of um, uh, intelligence as well. Um, how to make sure that um, what you're doing is uh, well, having a goal as to where you want to be, and then figuring out how to how to get to that goal. So if you want, if you're an, a young athlete and you want to make it to the professional league or you want to make it to the national team or you, or maybe not even, um, you don't, you want to be in the, on the coaching side or the, or the official side, just have a goal and then try to figure out what are the steps I need to do to get there. And the other thing, I, what's, what's important for me uh, or what, what, what's important for me now and even then is you always need to be learning something. Always be learning. Um, don't ever think that, hey, I'm the best player on this team. I'm good enough. Or I'm the best player here. I'm good enough. I don't really need to practice. I don't really need to wake up early to, 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 to practice my kicks or my shooting or whatever your sport will be. So always try to improve and get better and work harder than the next person. I think that's 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 kind of a a a, a, a learn a life lesson that um, will benefit everybody, not just athletes. And with such a large task to be one of the spearheads and actually growing the NBA's presence in Asia, did you kind of set yourself some goals to succeed, and were they kind of big ones or small ones? I think you have to have both. Uh, and one of the the lessons, great lessons, then the NBA taught me, especially when we start doing our um, two-year, five-year, 10-year business plans really is what is your, um, they call it the BHAG, right? B-H-A-G stands for Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. And it's really a goal that you set for yourselves or us as an organization that uh, in five years or 10 years that we probably aren't going to meet, whether we're talking about uh, growing our fan base to, uh, uh, to X amount or growing our revenues or growing our TV viewership or growing our digital, our social media reach. It, it's an amount, it's, it's, a, it's a goal that it's almost nearly impossible to meet, but we put it up there as, a, uh, as something to strive for. So that's like our big aggressive goal. And of course, along the way, um, you, you set smaller goals for yourself. Um, achievable goals, especially if it's, especially if your goal is is quite big to begin with, you need to get yourself started um, by setting smaller goals that you know you can achieve. But then also you have me medium term goals like two or three years down the road that are aggressive and hard to reach, but not impossible. I mean, I think um, it, you know there's always a danger if you set just easy goals for yourself, right? You'll think the world is easy and you really won't um, hit your full potential, but then putting the BHAG, the big heart, hairy audacious goal on its own without the intermediate steps, you're probably going to be doomed to failure. So I think you need all three goals, your short-term, easy-to-reach goals, your medium, aggressive goals, and then your BHAG goals really to succeed and to help guide you through life. I think that's that's the way I would, um, that's the way I would recommend uh, people who are sort of planning their, <laughs> planning the next few years of their lives. Can you give us an example of a goal that you made and maybe you actually like achieved uh, as your time there? 
Well, okay. Well, going back to junior NBA, I think um, that's probably uh, one where we are we set a we set a very aggressive goal for ourselves, and luckily we did meet them through the support of the organization and our sponsors and all of our partners there in the in the market. When we started that program, um, we were a small um, we were a small program um, with very little funding, um, and we basically ran it in. 16 schools, um, 1,000 participants in one city. And we said to ourselves, we want to take this program, and in 10 years, we want to make it the, um, the premier grassroots development program in the Philippines, or at least one of the premier grassroots development programs in the Philippines. So uh, we, and we built, we, 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 we tried to build our program towards that. Um, by every year aggressively expanding um, to the, the our number of schools um, and ensuring that we we partner with the right organizations that can help us get into new cities or new provinces or new territories um, and then obviously we with with the coaching um, the coaching here that I talked about the train the trainers program that really allowed us to scale up even more so for us, um, you know, the the last year of our program, uh, or, or in 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 total, um, we've reached nearly two million um, participants through our very through <clears throat> through our camps, through our digital programs, through our social programs, um, our our website, our portal, all of these digital platforms that really allowed us to scale. So we reached about two million players, coaches, educators, teachers, and parents, um, over 500 schools and over, I think, between 100 to 200 cities and municipalities all across the Philippines. So for, for us, it's, it's all about starting small, um, you know, and, and uh, getting the, the small steps, growing year on year, growing aggressively, but um, something that was realistic a goal for ourselves, um, but then having this aggressive goal at the end where we want to hit over a million participants and um, beneficiaries of the program. So uh, that was a, that was something we achieved, and in fact, we overachieved it because we doubled from a million. We actually hit two million, and actually, this program is now um, uh, we've expanded all over Southeast Asia. So. Uh, for us, it really was um, over overachieving and over excelling uh, on this program, and uh, we're very, very, very proud of it. Yeah, and so you you mentioned how you grew up loving sports. Has a Korean sports changed anything about the way you view sports or taught you anything about sports in general? Um, I, I wouldn't say no. I mean, it it definitely did make it. Um, as as a, as a fan of the sport, um, all I really cared about was what I was watching on television. Um, but there was so much more behind the scenes, right? How to get um, the the product that we're watching on television, or or now like the products that we're watching on our mobile phones or on our laptops. Um, there's so much more happening behind the scenes from a production point of view, from a broadcast point of view, um, from a commercial point of view. Um, making sure that the jerseys, for example, that the players are wearing are um, at e-commerce and are at our retail stores. So 
it, it was really um, <clears throat> exciting and interesting to me to see um, once I got into the NBA, how that all played out, how, how to do those things, how to make sure that um, the product that you're, that you're watching on television is, is really something that fans, um, that, that fans can experience from a 360 degree point of view, right? It's not just what they're watching, but what they're wearing and what they're thinking about, what they're talking about online, on social. Um, maybe it's they go to a 7-Eleven <clears throat> and it's a product that they see on, on the shelf there. Um, or when they go to a basketball camp, it's a, it's a junior NBA camp. So it, it's really understanding and knowing all of that um, as part of the organization that really um, opened my eyes to like all the possibilities uh, that uh, all, all the miracle, I guess, all the, the things that were happening behind the scenes that I didn't really know about or understood as just as simply being a fan. So in a, in, in a sense, I actually enjoyed it a lot more knowing what was going on because then when I was watching a um, game on television, for example, I'm not just looking and appreciating the game. I'm appreciating everything that goes on behind the scenes and what must be going on um, at the concession stands or at the retail or, or at the, you know, at the, at the schools around the arena and things like that. So. So as a managing director, you probably had to communicate and connect with people a lot. Um, what is the importance of networking at a young age and can networking for a young athlete be beneficial? Oh, absolutely. I think um, the one thing social media has shown us, right, it's, it's uh, the importance of networking and <clears throat> uh, not just sticking to your small group of, of uh, your circle of friends, but really making sure that you're expanding that. Um, and, but it's expanding it in the right way, expanding it um, to people that have a positive influence on you, um, and you know, and, and and making sure that you are using that network in the right way. So what I what do I mean by that? Really, it's um, in, ensuring, for example, that you you're with the right crowd, and that you uh, if, if there's somebody who um, inspires you or um, you see something that you like online that this person is doing. For example, they, um, <clears throat> have a, they're running a program that you find interesting or want to be a part of. Those are the kinds of positive um, influences, I think, that um, networking is, you know, that if you, if you are able to properly network, can really grow your your life and enrich your life beyond um, what what you're doing currently. Um, so I, I think networking is important, um, but networking in in a positive way and networking with people who um, can help enrich your life and can help um, improve what you do and can help open your eyes really to different possibilities. So um, I, I and I kind of envy the. Uh, the players, the athletes, uh, the young athletes, or the young people are listening to this now because it's it's so much easier now to network, right? You have um, so many social media sites, um, so many access, so much access to news and information. Um, you know, it's it's so easy to network, and people are, I think, much more open. The fact that they're on those social media platforms 
um, hopefully means that they're more open to networking. And so for an athlete of today, it's, it's, it's much easier. And, and um, I think it's a lot, it, it provides a lot of, a lot more opportunities, you know, just, just be polite, right? Just, just be civil and polite when you reach out to especially strangers um, and, you know, sort of tell them what you uh, admire about their work or what, why you're reaching out to them and be honest, but, and, but be polite. And, you know, I think, uh, I think the world, <clears throat> the world will open up to them, to, to, to these young athletes in, in a good way, in a positive way. And they'll, they'll learn a lot um, uh, that they can use in their athletic and even personal lives. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our next question is, how has your Filipino background played a role in the sports world? Um, well, I, I, I would say it helped a lot, obviously, as the head of the Philippines um, to understand the culture and understand the, uh, the mindset of Filipino athletes, um, but also have the, 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 the connections and the network, like I talked about, um, in, in order to get things done um, in that market. So for me, um, it's, it's, it's good. And, you know, obviously I touched on this earlier, but Filipinos mo more, more likely than not love basketball and are very, very knowledgeable about basketball. That helped a lot for me, like coming in um, to this organization that I already had such a, a broad knowledge of the league and the history of the league and the players in the league. Um, but also what the NBA has done in the U.S. and in Europe and in other parts of Asia, and how that can be applied to a market like the Philippines. So there's there was a lot uh, being a an NBA fan from the Philippines has really helped me um, in my role as the managing director of the NBA. So you've obviously traveled around and met many diverse people and communities. Can you talk about the experience that experience and how? that might have helped you continue to develop the program and how that might have helped you in your daily life? Um, yeah, uh, you know what, that's actually one of the, one of the great things about the NBA, right? It is a global brand and it's globally appreciated, globally known and renowned. So um, I've, you know, I've traveled um, all over, like you said, uh, for the NBA and had a chance to um, talk to, people from all sorts of background, all sorts of nationality of nationalities, ethnicities. Um, and the one thing that really um, was great to see was that they, when you mentioned the NBA, they kind of their eyes light up and they're like, oh yeah, Michael Jordan, you know, Kobe Bryant, they, they, they knew uh, that our at least our top athletes and they, they kind of spoke very fondly about it. So, for me, it was uh, it was really really um, interesting. It made our jobs easier. Obviously, that you're coming into a market where people already know who you are, uh, and are were interested in really understanding and knowing what how, what what you could do together um, to grow your respective businesses. So that was um, that was good. And you know, on by on, on my side, you know, just being able to be exposed to different ways of working. Um, different cultures, different languages, um, different, uh, even in, you know, like I said, the NBA has offices in many, many countries. So understanding like a program in Spain or how junior NBA is run in Turkey uh, or how this program is run in China or Taiwan or Japan or Australia, how can that apply to, how can I take that, those learnings and apply it to the Philippines? And then vice versa, we've exported 
a lot of our programs to different countries. Um, I, I mentioned how Junior MBA, you know, in, in Southeast Asia started in the Philippines is now in six countries all over Southeast Asia. Um, so it's, uh, it's my, uh, it's, it's me being able to, to share um, what we did successfully in, in the Philippines to other countries also. So it's a give and take relationship. But overall, I think um, uh, you, you learn a lot more by, by being a brand or being a, a person or an athlete that networks back to that concept again, or has relationships with people from other countries. Cause then they, you're bringing in knowledge from that you may not have necessarily have access to in your own small circle. So again, and going back to the importance of networking, it's really understanding and bringing in knowledge to yourself that you can apply to improve your own self. Um, that I think is, is very, very useful. Yeah. Back to networking, like social media and the media field has expanded um, from the past decade. So how did that help you um, expand the program? Um, were there any other any other benefits of social media besides expanding the program? Well, social media is one of the most important tools now for our, for, um, our outreach efforts, um, especially since most of our programs really target the youth um, with Junior MBA and other programs like the NBA 3X, for instance. <clears throat> Uh, so, uh, so we, we use social media basically to make sure that um, we're hitting the right audience and we're having, we're part of the conversations of, of, of our audiences. And, um, and we, we make sure also that when we're at our programs, we're actually able to, we encourage them to post, um, to talk about, to use our hashtags. We encourage them to, to have these conversations on their own social media feeds, because that's, that's one easy and, and effective way to scale up um, any of our programs like the Junior MBA is having our participants and our coaches promote or talk about or have conversations about their experience experiences at the Junior MBA because really nothing um, not, not, nothing can convince people more than word of mouth, uh, I would say. And so if, a, if your friend says, hey, this program is good, check it out, or hey, this coach is awesome, I learned so much from him, go to his, go to his camp or his clinic, um, we found that that's a much more effective way to get our word out. And it really has um, shown, the, 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 the proof is in the pudding, if you, if you will, that we've seen our social media, uh, social media sites, our traffic skyrocket at the same time we've seen um, the metrics we use to, to talk about the success of junior NBA, whether it's number of participants or um, number of sponsors or, um, you know, um, number of coaches to attend or train the trainers program. We've seen that grow hand in hand with the growth of our social media. And so during the development of the junior NBA, was there also kind of the, um, was the importance of a player's mental state stressed as well, along with that kind of physical performance and clinic? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, that, that is, that is definitely much more important, uh, more important than people perhaps gives credit for. Um, it, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because it really is one of the most overlooked aspects of preparation, um, and just having mental preparation as well as the physical preparation. I, I think when we when we do our, our coaching programs all over the Philippines and whether it's part of our junior NBA or other things, um, 
the, the one thing that our coaches ask for, that our participant coaches is, you know, how do our, how do we, how do we prepare our kids mentally to be ready for competition? Um, or even more specifically, how do we, for example, get them to bounce back after a loss or after a bad game? So um, I think those are some of the things that um, are opportunities for organizations like the NBA and others um, is to talk about mental preparation because I think that really is something that um, is sometimes not really paid a lot of attention to, but it's, it has such a huge impact on success of athletes. Are you familiar with the mental aspect for the NBA athletes? So for example, did you see athletes making mistakes in terms of realizing their potential or when making, uh, bouncing back from mistakes? And what would you like to see from young people to be more successful in regards to the mental aspect of sports? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I can't specifically speak speak to um, any of the NBA players, although, you know, you, you have players like LeBron James who are, you know, um, made of steel, both physically and mentally. Um, so he all, almost never have a, has a bad night. And, and that goes a lot to just mental and physical preparation. So I think, um, I, I, well, I mean, if, if people are, are, um, asking why is it important to be mentally fit as well as physically fit, then that's, he would be a gold standard, right? And he's always ready for every game. Um, for young athletes, it really is um, making sure that you spend as much time preparing yourself mentally for the game um, as much as you are physically prepared. And that really includes um, uh, just to prepare yourself mentally and, and making sure that you are strong of will and of mind, but also part of that is preparing yourself and understanding the opposition and looking at your competitors and seeing, you know, where do you think their weaknesses are and how can you capitalize? So really it's, it's, it's a lot of um, different, there's a lot of different aspects to mental preparation. Um, but so I, I think uh, as, a, as a young athlete, I think they shouldn't uh, neglect that that aspect of it because it's really so important. And as someone who's spent obviously a, a, a substantial amount of time in the sports and entertainment world, have you seen situations where pressure has gotten to athletes and do you have any examples? I've seen it all over the, all over the place. <laughs> I mean, NBA players, the best basketball players, some of the best athletes in the world are not immune. Um, uh, you'll see players at the most important uh, times of their lives, the NBA Finals, for example, um, have the worst game of their career, or you know, have the worst game of the series in the in a in a game deciding game in a in a series deciding game. So um, no one's immune to it. No matter how much you prepare, sometimes it just doesn't go your way. Um, so I, I think it's important. It's equally important. Um, make sure you're able to bounce back um, and not put so much pressure on, on yourself that you are not able to bounce back. So I think mental fortitude not, talk, not only is about the preparation for a game, but what happens after that if you don't meet your own expectations or if you don't do as well as you, you um, wanted to. Uh, how do you prepare yourself? How do you psych yourself to come back 
for the next game or for the next the next event. So I think that's uh, that's equally important as mental preparation. It's just mental recovery. Sure. And our last question is: would, Do you have any other insights you'd like to share about your job or sports psychology or the men, mental side of sports and anything? Oh, I, I think we talked about uh, about a lot. I mean, I, I think it's um, for young athletes. Um, you know, just to recap, mental preparation is uh, as important as physical preparation. Um, so they, they shouldn't neglect either one. Uh, it's also important to understand and making sure that as an athlete, you're not just focused on on the physical aspect of the game, but also the values that this game is bringing you. I hope that really is, to me, one of the most important things. Um, you know, I, I talked about the star values original, uh, early on, which late, it's sponsorship, uh, it's, it's sportsmanship, sorry, teamwork, having a positive attitude and respect, respecting your coaches, your your teammates, your opponents, uh, your parents, etc. Um, but there's 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 a lot more values that we can put in there. But um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the a lot of young athletes are not going to be able to make it to the pros, are not going to be able to make it to the national team. And so, having the values in place inside, you know, inside of you, um, will allow you to succeed whether you're on the court or off the court, right? Whatever you do those values are going to help you succeed, whether you're going to be an athlete, a professional athlete or not, or you're going to be a lawyer, a doctor or a teacher or what have you. Um, having those values ingrained are, are going to be important. So I hope that the athletes um, that are listening here take that into, to heart and really, um, you know, really bring it in, internalize those values in everything that they're practicing or at home with their parents or et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then uh, we talked about networking as well and the importance of that. And really the, the purpose there is to increase your circle of positive influences, but also increase your knowledge and learning and experience um, beyond what you have right now in your small circle. Just always be learning. I think that really is the key to succeeding in your sport and then succeeding in life. Well, thanks for hopping on the podcast, Carlo. And I thought this was a pretty cool topic to address and you had great tips and advice. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Of course. Thanks for listening to the My Design Sports Podcast. Before you leave, please show some love for the podcast by subscribing, liking, and commenting. Stay tuned for next month's podcast with a new guest speaker.